My name is Pastor Chris. I'm so glad that you're here, especially if you're a guest of ours this morning. Um, God's doing something special here, and we're just glad to be a part of it and uh, thankful for what he has in store. You picked a great week to join us. We are kicking off a series uh, that we started last week called Fulfilled, and it's about the prophetic pictures of Jesus. And I hope that you've been growing as you've been walking through our series guide. If you didn't pick one of these up, we still have some available, but we have uh, 40 days of devotionals that look at different prophecies or promises about Jesus made in the Old Testament that are ultimately fulfilled in Jesus himself. And uh, it's remarkable uh, to see all of these promises come to pass. Some of them are written up to a thousand years before Jesus was ever born. And yet they tell with great detail these specific things about Jesus, what he would be like, how he would come, how he would live, die, and be risen from the grave. So you don't want to miss out on this and make the most of it. I hope the Lord's meeting you as you're in uh, your group times together. But man, there's nothing like gathering together as the people of God to worship on a Sunday. Isn't it good, church, to gather together? God does something special here. It's different. You can listen to that song on Star 99.1 on your way into work, uh, but there's just something different about being together with others, right? Jesus said, when two or more gather, there I am in your midst. And we can just sense the presence of God in a special way. Man, I love that song we just sang, don't you? He's worthy of it all. He's worthy. He's worthy of everything we could ever give to him, everything we, every song we could ever sing. He's worthy of everything. And there's this statement that we were singing, the elders, and it's painting this picture forward to what we are to anticipate in the book of Revelation in the future that says the elders come before Jesus and they lay all their crowns before him. They lay down their crowns. They lay down everything that they've amassed because why? He's worthy of it all. He's worthy of everything we could ever give to him. And that's going to kind of tie into the message in just a few moments. But I think about that, that the Lord's word says time and again that there are special kind of rewards or blessings or crowns or jewels for those who love the Lord, who serve the Lord. And kind of when you get to heaven, there's this unveiling of these things, but then eventually it's all taken and just laid at the feet of Jesus. And I want you to know if there is, is, is any crown and there's any treasure for those that have loved and served the Lord and been faithful in their lives, man, there was an unveiling this week. Because someone who loved the Lord and who served the Lord for his entire life entered into his eternal reward in Billy Graham. Man, can you imagine heaven rejoicing over this man's life, that his faith became his sight? If, if there's any crowns that anyone would bring, if there's any treasure stored up for those that have loved the Lord, man, there must have been dump trucks full of it for this man. I want to tell you, and I could just imagine as he lived his heart here on earth to just bring all that and place it at the feet of Jesus. This is a man who saw millions of people come to faith in Jesus because of his faithfulness and his ministry. He preached to the multitudes. He stood before kings and kingdoms. He stood before presidents. He stood before everyone. And, and he wasn't shaken by any of those words. You know why? Because he lived by the word of God. He honored the Lord with his life. He was a man who went throughout his entire ministry without scandal because he just loved the Lord. And he had a heart that was fully devoted to God and his purposes. He truly lived out that statement, obey God and leave all the consequences up to him. He was a man that just lived to obey the Lord. And I can't imagine 
the reception someone like that would receive as they enter into their reward. Well done, good and faithful servant. I'm so thankful that we had in our own lifetime the ability to witness someone who I believe has led more people to Christ in our lifetime than we can ever imagine. In fact, the pastor of our church before myself was Pastor Kevin Brennan. He came to faith in Christ through Billy Graham's ministry. And I can imagine for 22 years, all the people here at Evangel Church under his ministry that came to faith in Jesus at rate as Billy Graham's faith was becoming sight, he could fully understand the millions of people that were impacted through his ministry. You've been impacted through his ministry. Every single one of us, we've been impacted because of his faithfulness. A statement that's been sitting in my heart is a quote that kind of gives me goosebumps that Billy Graham himself said. He said, one day you will read or hear Billy Graham is dead. Don't believe a word of it. I will be more alive then than I am right now. I just changed my address. I'm now in the presence of God. What a testimony and what a life. Amen, church? As my wife and I were praying on the day he passed into glory, we were at our dinner table and we were talking and I, I just had this deep impression in my heart and I said, Lord, I'm praying that many people will come to faith in Christ even through his passing, even through this man, because here's what happened. The world stopped. The whole world stopped and took notice. Do you know why? Because someone that loved and honored God with their entire life fell. And, and, and they fell into death, and yet death wasn't their final resting place because then they, when he died, they remembered all these words that he had shared. They remembered all these promises. They're saying, wait, what happened to Billy? He said he, whenever he said he'd be dead, he wouldn't really be dead. Why? Because he's in heaven. Why? Because of Jesus. Like his death is even promoting the gospel. It's pointing people to Christ. He is uh, actually being honored in such a way that, he's, that the House of Representatives have allowed for him to be placed, his body to be placed, not him, he's with the Lord now, to be placed in a place of honor and reverence that's only set apart for highly esteemed individuals. This man lived his life with such integrity in his heart, such a conviction to honor and serve the Lord that man, even in his death, many will come to know the Lord. So pray that this would spark revival in our land. Pray that God will bring revival through someone who's faithful to the end and love the Lord dearly. And um, I'm just praying that God would just use this word today to speak to all of our hearts. It has a lot to do with what I just shared with you. You might ask yourself, what was so different about him? You know what it was? It was a heart that was set apart from the Lord and then was the anointing of the Lord. This wasn't in his own strength. Anything that he had, he knew it was only because of what Jesus did with him. But I want you to know the world doesn't get a, but a few glimpses of what it looks like when someone will live their life with their heart completely devoted to the purposes of God. And I want you to know the world is yet to fully see it. And I'm believing that in our generation, God would raise up more and more people that would walk with that kind of integrity of heart, that they would see the goodness of God flow through their lives in such a powerful way. And so, Lord, I pray right now, Lord, that as I share this word, Lord God, would this be the beginning of it for someone? Lord God, would they look at the lasting legacy of someone like Billy Graham, Lord, where they see the examples, Lord, of what you share in scripture and with something deep within them desire to walk with you in that special way. And Lord, I, I believe that as we look at your word today, you show us the way. You, you are the way, the truth, and the life. And I pray that you lead and guide us through the power of your Holy Spirit. Make your word alive in every heart today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. So we're walking through this series called Fulfilled, and each week we are looking at a different um, theme 
about who Jesus is and his promise to be in the Old Testament. Last week, we talked about how Jesus is God with us. He is the fulfillment of God's promise to never leave us, but to be with us and to actually come in, be among his people. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus is God with us. And in the Old Testament, hundreds of years before he was ever born, it was promised that he would come in this way. We're going to look at another one of God's promises and a prophecy fulfilled of who Jesus would be. And so if you have your Bibles, open with me to Matthew chapter 20. As we go to Matthew chapter 20, we're looking at just an, an amazing passage of scripture. And it's a story that comes up and is found in all three, uh, three of the four gospels. It's found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke's gospel. And in the midst of this, they're telling the same story from different angles and different perspectives. But I want us to pay attention to a specific phrase that is used because this is a key moment in the life and ministry of Jesus where something is being confirmed about his identity that goes all the way back hundreds of years earlier because it's a promise that God made. And I want you to know something. If you don't hear anything else that I say today, know this, God always keeps his promises. When we say God is faithful, when we say God is good, why? Because he is a promise-keeping God. And I want you to know something today. He has a promise for your life, and he will keep that promise as you follow him, as you trust him as you live for him. And so this is a fulfillment. We're seeing this fulfillment of a promise God made a long time earlier unfolding right before our eyes as we read this passage of scripture. We're going to start in verse 29 and here's what it says. We're just going to read the first two verses and then we'll, we'll get back to it later in the message. It says, as they were leaving Jerusalem, as Jesus' disciples were leaving uh, Jericho, I'm sorry, a large crowd followed him. Verse 30, it says, Two blind men were sitting by the roadside, and when they heard Jesus was going by, they shouted, Son of David, have mercy on us. Stop right there. Son of David, have mercy on us. I want you to pay attention to that name that they give to Jesus, Son of David. These two blind men are there as he's leaving Jericho. This is a key moment in Jesus' life and his ministry. And these two blind men just recognizing the presence of Jesus cry out, Son of David, have mercy on us. To understand the significance of what they're saying, we have to go on a little bit of a journey today, church. So if you're taking notes, and I encourage you to take notes this morning, I want you to write down some of these passages of Scripture and these verses. Uh, some of them will be here on the screen, but you can also flip there if you'd like. Um, to understand this, we need to understand the significance of that title that was given. And to understand that, I want to bring you back to the book of Judges. In the book of Judges, chapter 17, we see a statement that's made about the people of God. And this is Israel. This is God's chosen people. And it says, in that day, in those days, Israel had no king. And all the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. So it goes all the way back, and we're going back a long time at this point in time. But there's no king in Israel. There's no leader. There is no King David. There's no one else. It's just God and his people, and he's raising up different leaders. He raises up judges. But then eventually God begins to raise up prophets, people that would speak for the Lord. One of the first prophets that was ever raised up was a prophet named Samuel. 
And Samuel was one that was meant to stand before the people and to, to minister. And he was, he was meant to speak God's word to the people of God. And so as this is happening, it says that there was no king in Israel. And this was important because every other group of people had a king. Every civilization, every country had a leader. And that leader was normally a king. And that king would normally lead the people and they, they would find security and hope. And they'd find everything they need in their king. And the king would ultimately set the trajectory for them, that nation and that group of people. Well, when the people looked around, the Israelites, they said, where's our king? We want a king. Why don't we have a king just like everyone else? You know what? The Israelites seem a lot more and more like my, my children that are uh, four years old and two years old. Uh, when they look and they see something on a commercial or they see something in their friend, hey, they have that. Why don't I have that? I want that. You know, how many of you know what that feels like with your kids, right? But you have this. No, no, I don't want that. I want that over there. Why? Because they have it. In fact, if my, my, my son, who's 18 months old, is playing with one of Lily's toys that Lily cares nothing about, but now he's playing with it, she wants it. I want that. Well, you didn't want it five minutes ago. I want it. Why? Because he has it. Isn't that something that's embedded in the heart of us? We often want the thing that someone else has, even though if they didn't have it, it wouldn't matter to us at all. But something in their hands, it makes it look so good. This is what was happening for, to the hearts of people. Whenever we looked at the Israelites, they look and see that there were other kings. It's a, I want that. I want that king. I want that person. We have such a way of elevating people and creating idols in this world, don't we? We look to people and we, we lift them up and they said, we want a king. And they begin to say that. And Samuel, all he's trying to do as a prophet, he's trying to connect the people back to God. And he keeps coming. He says, this is how we were meant to worship God. This is what it means to have a relationship with God. We want you to love God with all your heart. We want you to follow him. Like We, don't, we, we want a king. If God loved us, he would give us a king. Samuel got a little depressed, and Samuel's like, I, I don't understand. And, and in his moment of grieving, the Lord speaks to the prophet Samuel in verse 7 of 1 Samuel chapter 8, and he says, listen to all the people and what they are saying to you. It is not you that they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. I want you to know, when there is no king, chaos reigns. When there is no king, there is no peace. I want you to know when there is no king, there is no fullness of purpose. And so God says to Samuel something that's powerful that we need to pay attention to today. He said, the people haven't just rejected you, they've rejected me as their king. And I want you to know the most dangerous thing you could do in this life is reject God as king, is to reject him. And they rejected him as their king. They wanted to be like everyone else God wanted to have a special relationship with them. He wanted to lead them and to guide them. But they didn't want that. They wanted to be like everyone else. I want you to know, whenever we try to be like chameleons and we try to blend in with everyone else, we're not meant to blend in. We're not meant to, we're meant to stick out. We're meant to be a different kind of people. We're meant to be a peculiar people, a people that the world looks at and says, they're different. What makes them different? God is their king. They don't have a human king. They have God, but they didn't want that. They wanted a human king. They wanted someone just like them and like the other kings. In fact, 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse 12 says it like this. It says, when you saw that Nahash, king of the Ammonites, was moving against you, you said to me, no, we want a king to rule over us, even though the Lord your God was your king. Even though the Lord your God was your king, you didn't want him. You wanted someone else. Man, how many times... Instead of reaching for God's best, we push that aside and reach for things that are less than. Reach for other things that we think will satisfy us. 
things that everyone else is doing, things that everyone else has that look so appealing in the moment, but we have no idea they're leading us on a course towards destruction. And so God gave them the desire of their hearts. Their hearts were bent on a king. God said, okay, I will raise up a king, but the king has to have a heart, a heart that's pliable, a heart that obeys my word a heart that loves me. And so this would become the standard because many other kings on the outward look great, but God judges the heart. Just as it says, the prophet Samuel says it, God looks on the outward appearance, but man looks on the outward appearance, but God judges the heart. So God's looking for the heart of this king. And he finds one in in this man named Saul. And Saul is raised up to be a great king and leads the people of God and everyone's celebrating and excited. But even though he's very successful, there's a defect in his heart that in his heart, he understands love, he understands sacrifice, he understands these things, but he doesn't understand obedience is most important to God in the end. And so he goes and he conquers a group of people. God gives him specific instructions to wipe out the land, to completely destroy it. But when he gets there, he realizes that there's all these things of value in his own eyes. And he said, I'm gonna do God a favor. Maybe God didn't realize what he was telling us to do. I'm going to save some of these special things and I'll even give it as a sacrifice unto the Lord. Then he'll be impressed. I want you to know God is not as impressed in your sacrifice as he is in your obedience. I want you to know God cares less about sacrifice and more about obedience. He said, this is what I want. This is what I want in the depths of your heart is a heart that will obey me. And so because of that, because of this, God rejects, ends up rejecting Saul. He puts him on a course where he's ultimately rejected as king over the kingdom. 1 Samuel 13, 14, this is what the Lord says. Now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler over his people because you have not kept the Lord's commandment. Say, Pastor, it doesn't seem like a big deal. I want you to know the Lord's looking for something in every heart. He's not looking for what man looks for. The credentials that the Lord would want is not based on ability. It's it's based on availability and obedience. It's based on a heart that will love the Lord, obey the Lord, and be tender towards the Lord's leading and guiding. In fact, 2 Chronicles 16, 9 says it like this. It says, For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the whole earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. This is what the Lord is doing. He's looking out throughout the whole world and he's looking to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. This is what the Lord loves to do. This is what the Lord longs to do. But when the Lord looks out over the hearts of people, he finds even in his leaders, those whose hearts are not fully committed to the Lord. In fact, if you'll do a study in the Old Testament scriptures of all the kings who would live and lead the people of God after King Saul, you find something very strange. You find that there are 44 kings that would raise up and serve the Lord in that great capacity to be king over the people of Israel or the land of Judah. There's 44 of them. When you actually go through each of them, in in most cases, there's given some kind of description about their lasting legacy. And the question is asked, did did they honor the Lord or did they not honor the Lord? And I want you to know the first king after Saul that that the Lord is speaking about is a king that's raised up. And who, who is he? King David. King David is a man after God's own heart. And he becomes the king that is the gold standard for every other king to be measured by. In fact, they literally say that like he either followed in David's footsteps or he didn't. And even though David... When you think about his life, you'd say, really, that's the gold standard? He committed adultery and he had a man killed? 
And yet the Lord still said, but he's a man after my own heart. I want you to know something. Some of you think you've done something that God could never forgive you of. And you think that you've been in the lowest place. And I want you to know, if you come to the Lord with a repentant heart, oh, how God can turn around anything. He can turn around anything. He can take your sin, your iniquity, and separate it as far as the east is from the west. And whenever we come with a contrite heart, we come in the spirit of Psalm 51, which if you feel that way, just read Psalm 51 and just come to the Lord humbly in that way and watch what he'll do with a broken heart. He won't despise it. He won't turn you away, but he'll restore you and heal you. And so David's legacy was amazing. In spite of his sin, in spite of his brokenness, he still became the gold standard. But there were 44 other kings, including David, that ruled over the people of Israel. Here's a shocking statistic. Of them, only seven kings were recorded to have done right in the eyes of the Lord. Seven out of 44. David included in that number. Seven out of 44. Three of them did right in their youth, but in the end of their lives were evil. And over 30 kings did what was evil in the eyes of the Lord. That was the lasting legacy of their leadership. So we see this. Why? It wasn't about how big the buildings were that they built. It wasn't about all the things that they had accomplished. It wasn't about the things that would go down and we could dig them up today and we could see while they lived here and they built that building. And they built. It wasn't about any of those things. You know what we were being measured on? What was going on in their hearts? That's all that mattered at the end of the day. It wasn't on their resume. It wasn't on all their accomplishments. It wasn't about all the land that they had taken or all the battles that they had won. The only thing that mattered in the end was, was their heart devoted to the Lord or was it not? I want you to know everything you amass in this life, everything you think the world will measure as success, in one day it will not matter. The only thing that will matter is, is your heart fully devoted to the Lord or is it not? That's the only thing that will matter for eternity is the condition of your heart. In church, we place such an emphasis in this world on amassing so much and we forego and we compromise and we sell ourselves short in that one area that matters for eternity what will your legacy be is your heart fully committed to the lord or have you wavered man that sends chills down my spine to think that's it that's all that matters in the end is not how much we had but how devoted our heart was to god and his purposes and so we see that all these things would happen and all these kings were measured and they were measured against David. They were measured against this one because God had a special relationship with David and God even made him a special promise at one point in time. And here's what the Lord said in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 12 and 13. Here's what the Lord says. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will rise up from your offspring, one to succeed you your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He will be the one to build a house for my name. And you say, okay, that's Solomon? But here's what he says. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. What is this all about? So you start to read and you think, okay, well, God made a promise to David that he would have a son that would succeed him and he would actually be king over Israel. But we don't realize in that moment that there's also a prophecy being declared that isn't just about his son, but it's about someone in his line. That somehow, David, your throne will never end. It will be an, an everlasting, eternal throne. I'm going to establish this forever, this kingdom. Every other kingdom has come and gone. Every other king has lived and died. But he said, this kingdom will be established forever. And it's going to come through your family line. It's going to come through your family that my kingdom will be established. 
we come to see more of the fullness of what he's saying here in Isaiah chapter 11, where the prophet Isaiah, the Lord is speaking through him and he begins to pick up on this prophetic promise. And here's what he says. He says, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse from his root, a branch will bear fruit, and the spirit of the Lord will rest upon him, and the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He says there's someone that's going to raise up, and he's going to come from the stump of Jesse. Jesse is David's father. He's the father of David. So it says from that family line, there's one that's going to come up. And he's going to be anointed. The spirit of the Lord is going to be upon him from this family line. I never understood fully the significance of the statement that was made from this stump of Jesse. There's going to be a branch that will bear fruit, a shoot that will come up. I didn't understand it until we were at Israel uh, for the second time. I'd already gone and I wish I would have picked up on this the first time, but I missed it. But when we were in Israel, we got to see olive trees again. And one of the most beautiful things that you'll see are these old, old olive trees and in fact, you can go to certain parts of the world, you can find olive trees that are over 2,000 years old. That's what one looks like that's over 2,000 years old. Isn't that crazy looking? I mean, I, I, I don't know if, the, you know, I, I feel a little intimidated being near a tree that looks that way because it just looks like, you know, what's going on with that tree? Here's what's happening. Everything you see on the outside of that tree is dead. And just like any other tree that you could imagine, whenever a tree dies, it dies. Whenever the, the actual stump dies and you think it starts to decay, the tree has no life left. But the olive tree is different. The olive tree, that in the midst of even that, that stump that you think is dead, it will keep shooting up new shoots, new branches that will give life. Go to this one here. You can see this is a very old one as well. It's several hundred years old, over a thousand years old. But what do you see shooting out of it? New branches. New branches keep coming out of what seems to be dead. New life is coming out. And it's in this picture that the prophet Isaiah says this, out of the stump of Jesse, out of what you thought was dead and gone and buried, I want you to know at the fullness of time, a new shoot will come up. It will bear fruit. It will bring life. And it will be a place of healing for everyone. The spirit of the Lord will rest upon him. Who is he talking about? Jesus he says the fullness of time, there's one who's going to come out of this family line, out of this stump, out of this place, and he will be the one to save everyone. He'll be a king like no other king. And so we see this actually happen. That's why when we go to the beginning of Matthew's gospel in chapter one, some of you think it's the most boring part of scripture that you read. It's just a list of names. You're like, really, Lord, I just got to read all these different names. There's significance in the names. Don't miss that. Because right there in the middle, and it says, and Jesse, who was the father of King David, and King David, who was the father, it's showing the family line of Jesus. Why? Because it proves how Jesus fulfills this very prophecy that he would be the one that would come out of that root. He would come out of that family line. He would come in such a way that he would be the son of David. Whenever we talk about this phrase, the son of David, who they're talking about is the Messiah, the promised one who would come, the king of all kings, that there would be a king that would come that would be the greatest king. He would be the one to usher in God's rule, his reign, and establish his kingdom once and for all. And the Jewish people were waiting on this Messiah. The Jewish people were waiting on him. They were waiting intently. 
They said when the Messiah appears. In fact, based on scripture, they knew when the, how the Messiah would appear, where he would appear, how all these things would work out. But here's the tragic part, is when Jesus actually showed up, the people that were most studied in scripture were blind and they couldn't see him. They were blinded, they just couldn't see him. They couldn't see him. They couldn't wrap their minds around it. They couldn't see that the Messiah had come and was standing right among them, that was moving among them, was healing, was restoring, was even raising the dead to life. And they missed him right in their own eyes. Many of us that went to Israel, you could see and your heart could be broken because still when you go to Israel and we see our brothers and sisters who are of the Jewish faith and they're, they're standing there and you know what they do? They point out and they say, when the Messiah appears... This is where he's going to come. And when the Messiah comes, he's going to come through this valley and he's going to enter through this gate. And it breaks your heart because you're like, the Messiah already has come. But they missed it. They haven't seen it. That's why Brother Felix Halpern is going to be with us in a few weeks. He's a Messianic Jew. He's a Jewish man that has now come to see Jesus as the Messiah, as the fulfillment of all these promises of God. But for many, they're blind. They don't see it, but he's come right to them. Here's what makes the passage of Scripture that we're talking about in Matthew chapter 12 so amazing. Let's go back there again to Matthew chapter 20. I'm sorry. Matthew chapter 20, here's what it says. As they were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed him. And two blind men were sitting by the road. And hearing that Jesus passed by, they cried out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. In verse 31, it goes on to say, the crowd rebuked them and told them to be quiet, but they shouted all the louder, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. And why is this so significant? Because Jesus stopped in that moment. There are two blind men who cannot see. And as Jesus walks by, they can recognize that he's the Messiah. The people that could see clearly couldn't see it. But the two blind men sitting by the road, they said, son of David, you're the Messiah. You're the promised one. Have mercy on us. Jesus said, what is it that you want me to do for you? And they said, we want you to open our eyes. We want our sight. And in that moment, Jesus then began to heal them. Look in verse 34. Jesus had compassion on them. He touched their eyes and immediately they received their sight and they got up and they followed Jesus. This amazing miracle that's shown in all three uh, gospel accounts in the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, is one that's seen there. The same phrase is used. You know why? Because they're calling upon Jesus' identity as the Messiah. The blind men could see it, but those that had sight could not. They couldn't recognize recognize that he was the promised one that was come to set the people free. Why was it so significant of what Jesus did in that moment? Because if you go back to the book of Isaiah chapter 35, you see verses five and six. Write it down in your notes and go and read that there. You'll actually see it next week in your devotional. It's one of the prophecies that Jesus specifically fulfilled that one of the marks of the Messiah would be that he would return sight to the blind that he would open blind eyes. You don't have to read it there. You'll see it in the Psalms. You'll see it over and over and over again that one of the incredible convincing proofs that the Messiah, when he comes, is that he would be able to allow the blind to see. I want to ask you this question today. Who is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus to you? Do you see him as the promised one of God? Come on up, Pastor Rick. Do you see him as the fulfillment of God's promise to you and to me 
the one who has come to save us, the one who has come to redeem our lives, the one who has come to set us free. Here's what I believe. I believe that you can go to church your entire life. I believe that you can actually become blinded by religion and miss the essence of who Jesus really is. I believe that you can come and you can hear the stories, but the reason why we're walking through these passages of scripture, because my prayer for you is this, that you will have a foundation to stand on, that when the times and the storms come, when someone comes and tries to challenge your faith, you would be able to go back to that place and say, no, I know that I know that I know Jesus is the promised son of God. He is the Messiah. He is God with us. He is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. There's too many times, man, when the storms come in life that we forget all about who Jesus is, that we just get into a religious way of thinking. We miss the power of the relationship he came to bring us into. So for you today, that's my prayer, that your eyes would be fully opened that you would recognize that Jesus is the promised one of God. And I believe that many of us, man, we can be in the faith for a long time. I'm talking to someone that you've, you've been coming to church for a long time. Man, you had a time in your life when your faith was vibrant. When you were living for God, you were just, you were, you were in love with him. You were seeing God do amazing things. But man, as the decades have gone by, you still come to church. You still go in a sense, maybe of duty but I want you to know Jesus is here to open your eyes again, to show you the wonder of who he is, to show you he's the one that has the power to restore sight to the blind. He has the power to lead and guide your life. He has the power to take a heart that's even like stone and make it like flesh again. He's the one that wants to lead you and guide you. For some of you today, and I want you to know every single one of us were created in the same way. Our hearts have this one feature that I don't think we think or talk about enough. I want you to know every heart in this room has a throne in it. And what I mean by that is there is a place, a place of control, a place of lordship, a place that is elevated above everything else. And whoever sits on the throne of your heart is the one who is leading and guiding your life. And I want you to know that if you've ever called upon Jesus as your Lord and Savior, when we call Jesus our Savior, it's that he saves us from our sins. But when we call him Lord, it means he's king of our heart and our life. It means that he's the one that now leads us. He's the one that now guides us. It means that just like we see with David and we see like these kings that honor the Lord, we have a heart to obey him. We have a heart to walk with him, to follow his leading. But oh, how easy it is to declare Jesus as Lord of our lives and then within a short period of time, pull him off the throne of our hearts and start to live for ourselves, to start to entertain sin in our lives, to start to move in ways and walk in ways that don't honor God. I want you to know today it's very possible for you to try to confess with your mouth but not truly believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord of all and trust him with everything within you. And today I just believe that the Lord is calling us back, church. He's calling us to wake up. He's wanting to open our eyes again. He's wanting to take that first place in your life. He wants to be your first love. He cries out to you today and knocks on the door of your heart and says, if you'll invite me back in, if you'll give me that place again, I'll lead you and I'll guide you. Some of you, you're living lives today and you just feel depressed. You feel it's so much less than you thought. And I want to ask you again, where is Jesus? Is he at the center of your life? Is he on the throne of your heart today? Because if he isn't, I want you to know your only hearts turn away from him. I want you to know today there's nothing you could have done. There's nowhere you could have run that puts you outside of the reach of his grace and his mercy. So if you'd bow your heads and your hearts with me this morning, I want to invite you to reaffirm your commitment to follow Jesus. The eyes of the Lord are looking to and fro. 
He's looking to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. You alone know the condition of your heart. You alone know the commitment of your heart. Where do your commitments lie? And today, would you cast aside those things that are taking up space that is reserved for the Lord? I believe the Lord says today, you're in my seat to someone. You're sitting there, you're on that throne, you're sitting in that place that is reserved for Jesus. Cast those things aside. Would you make a commitment even now to invite the Lord to come and to forgive you of those things where you've wandered away from him, where you've done what you know doesn't honor his heart? Would you invite Jesus to come and be king of your heart again today? Would you reaffirm your commitment to follow him wholeheartedly all the days of your life? I want you to know he'll strengthen you. I want you to know his grace will be over you. I want you to know today you don't have to walk out of this place with condemnation. But today as the Holy Spirit convicts you, convinces you that this is the right step, that you will take a step towards Jesus with your life. Oh Lord, I just sense sons and daughters returning home today. Lord, I sense, Lord God, your sweet presence moving among your people. And Lord God, would you come? Would you open eyes even now, Lord God? Would there be a burning in someone's heart they haven't felt in a long time? Would it be your Holy Spirit, Lord God, lighting a new fire within them? Lord God, we just commit ourselves afresh and anew to you today. I'm gonna invite every person in this room. Would you just stand to your feet right now, right where you're at? If that's you and you just know you just need to come come to the Lord, you just need to reaffirm your relationship with Jesus, you just need to be re-strengthen that relationship with him, I want you just to begin to call out upon the Lord's name right now. Just begin to lift your hands before him. Invite his presence back into your life. Invite him to come. May this be the returning home of your heart. Lord Jesus, you see every son, you see every daughter, you see, Lord God, those that are turning away from things, Lord God, that have been a distraction, those things that have been luring them away from your perfect plan for their lives. Lord, they're coming home. They're coming back to you. Lord God, welcome them. Lord, I thank you that you're like the father to the prodigal son. Lord God, your heart is so open. Lord, you're you're so overjoyed, Lord God, when any one of your children returns home. So Lord God, see our hearts, Lord God. We, we cut off the things that would have distracted us. We turn our back on the things, Lord God, that have become uh, such a way of separating us from you. And today, we grab a hold of your heart. We grab a hold of your love. Lord God, we will follow you all the days of our lives. Lord, just as the two blind men whose eyes were open, it said they left and then they followed you. Help us to follow you like we've never followed you before. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love. Thank you, Lord. Today, with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I want to talk to someone in this room. You've come in here today and you've never fully surrendered your life to Jesus. Up until this moment in time, you've kind of maybe come to church or, but you've never actually invited him to come and be Lord and savior of your life. Today, you feel very far from God. As we talked earlier in the service that Billy Graham, whenever he breathed his last breath, he entered into the presence of God. Heaven was his home. Today, if you're not sure if heaven is your home, you've never actually walked with that kind of certainty, I want you to, you don't have to leave here uncertain about it anymore, that you can have a sureness of your faith if you give your heart to Jesus, invite him to come in and commit yourself to follow him. Here's what it takes. It takes you acknowledging your need for him, confessing your sin, putting your faith and trust in him, and then following him. 
with your life. And today, if you've never done that, but today you're ready to, you want to, you want to be sure that heaven will be your home. I want to say a prayer with you, but I need to know that you're here. It's a gift that God has already given you, but you have to receive that. And if today you're ready to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and as your Savior, I want you to lift your hand right above your head, right where you're sitting. Don't be ashamed of it. Don't be concerned about it, about what anyone around you is thinking, but that is you. Lift your hand up right now in this moment. I see hands going up around this room. Praise God. If there's anyone else, just lift your hand high above your head right now. Come on, church, let's celebrate. Let's celebrate with those that are reaching for the Lord even now. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. Praise God. Hands going up around this room. Just leave your hand up for just a moment. And right now in this moment, I'm going to say a prayer with you. And I want you to say this prayer from the bottom of your heart. Say it to you and the Lord. And anyone else that wants to repeat it as well as an act of recommitment, you can. Pray with me. Dear Jesus, I ask you to come into my life and forgive me of my sins that separated me from you. Today I turn from them and I turn to you. I believe that you came and that you died and that you rose again for me. And today I thank you for my forgiveness and for the new life that you have given me. And I will now follow you all the days of my life in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Come on, church, I want you to celebrate. Come on, let's celebrate and celebrate and celebrate. Let's rejoice in heaven for those that have made a decision to follow Jesus. It is the greatest decision that you've ever made. And look at me right now, if you made that decision, you are not in this alone. Come on, church, join me in that. They're not in this alone, right? We're here for you. We're here with you. We want to help you take the next steps in your journey. Here's the best thing you could do in this moment to let me know that you've made that decision. They want to put a number on the screen. Will you send a text message, this number, before you leave today? Just text the word Jesus to 908-325-5163. Just text that number if you said yes to Jesus. I saw several hands. Please don't leave without doing this. If you missed that number on the screen, it's in your bulletin. But we want to connect you with some resources to help you grow. So please let me know. Pull out your phone even now and send me a text message. Let us know that you decided to follow Jesus. God is so good. Amen, church. Amen. I just want to sing one final word of worship as we go. We're going to declare Jesus as the king of our hearts and our lives. We're going to declare his goodness and his mercy. And so as you sing this song, let this be our closing. You're free to go whenever you feel led to go, but let's just worship the Lord on our way out today. God bless you.